hello. Welcome to Intellicast, Season 5, Episode 11. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm all right. Good episode today. We have a guest. I haven't had a guest in a while that, um, or, or more of a traditional guest, I guess. Right, traditional guest. Yeah. On today is Chris Whitaker. He works at Explorer Research. He's a partner there. He's going to talk about shopper research. And, you know, we recorded the interview yesterday. And, you know, we, we've talked about shopper research and stuff and their capabilities a lot. And they certainly explore research is amazing. What I love, though, was kind of a conversation around trends. Yeah. Shopping, right? Yeah. He is super knowledgeable about that and kind of what they've seen over the last couple of years. We talked yeah. about what is what is more of a permanent trend versus a temporary trend and yeah. different impacts of that way on how different impacts, one on how research is going to be done for shopper insights with the changes in shopper behavior. Right. So really an interesting discussion. I could have gone a long time with him on this interview talking just about trends and what's changing with shopper behavior, which is really kind of fascinating. Um, so I think it's worth a listen. And with no further ado, here is Chris from Explorer Research. Joining me now, I have Chris Whitaker. He's a partner at Explorer Research. Chris, hey, how are you, sir? How you doing? I am great, Brian. Thanks. Um, hopefully you're doing well as uh, as well as we get into the second half of March here. And uh, it's nice to see the beautiful weather coming back. Yeah, and you're in, uh, you're in Canada, is that correct? Actually, uh, today I'm in Florida. Um, but oh. typically I spend time between, I spend my time between Chicago and Toronto uh, in my capacity as, uh, you know, managing our shopper lab facilities and as a partner explorer research. But I'm just I'm here temporarily, and I will be actually flying back uh, tomorrow. Okay, not a bad place to be. As we, I guess in in Canada, you're ending winter um, a little bit behind most of us in the U.S. Yeah, we've yep. uh, we've seen a dramatic change. I mean, obviously, it's been a very very cold winter, a very snowy winter, much more so than we're used to. And yeah. um, don't know if that's a sign of things to come in the years uh, years moving forward, or if that's just a one year anomaly, but. Um, after many, many years of milder winters, this was certainly, uh, uh, you know, a very, very hard winter. Yeah, we were due for sure. So I'd love to hear about your background and, and kind of what you do now at Explorer Research. Yeah, at Explorer Research, I first, let's, let's start with it. Um, I joined Explorer 12 years ago when we were in our infancy. And um, essentially, at the time, there were three of us uh, who started the company. And we had uh, a background of uh, all working together. Um, in the packaged goods industry, we were uh, had all worked together at uh, Kraft General Foods. Prior to that, I had uh, I left Kraft General Foods and went off to work in the agency business for for uh, a number of years. And my other two partners, Mark Inkle and Ann Stevenson, got together and um, we we came back together. That if you will, the three of us to form a company called uh, Explore Shopper Research. Since changed to Explore Research, but our backgrounds are all packaged goods. Uh, you know, CPG major major company CPG. So that was our sort of initial point of difference, and and the company has grown dramatically since then um, to what it is today with uh, the two offices, two uh, two different shopper labs, both in the U.S. and in Canada, and um, you know a large clientele of CPG and retail clients. Okay. And yeah, maybe tell me more about Explore Research, the Shopper Insights. What, what do you kind of focus on? Um, we focus on being shopper. We, we call ourselves shopper experts. Obviously, as I alluded to between our, our different backgrounds, um, we have a lot of client-side experience. We've obviously 
grown the company and supplemented it with a lot of different experts in different areas. Um, but uh, we, we focus on shopper research and we really try to focus on the behavioral side of that too. So uh, it's not just enough to interview respondents in terms of what they think about things. It's really the added value of uh, using behavioral techniques, whether that's eye tracking or GSR, to really get a sense for you know, what they're doing and they're not telling you about. So it's that combination of what they tell you and what we can monitor uh, from what they're doing that allows us to come come forward with some some great insights. And we focus on you know packaging optimization. We focus on path to purchase in terms of the purchase cycle for products. We do a lot of planogram optimization work with our CPG clients and our retailers. And that's particularly important now in the post-COVID world where, where obviously there's less selection in stores and things have been moved around. Um, so the, having that correct planogram and having that right package in front of a consumer to be able to make a choice is critical. And we also do a lot of e-com testing and uh, usability testing. And we are full service. So we have uh, a full quantitative and a full qualitative uh, capabilities and, uh, and experts in both of those areas to be able to get it uh, behavioral. Okay, good. And you do, you do shopper labs, right? Can you explain what a shopper lab is? I, I see it on your yeah. website. Maybe yeah, we were actually when we started out, and as I mentioned 12 years ago, when we started out, we really saw a point of difference by developing a shopper lab. And in its rudimentary form, a shopper lab was a large, large open space where we obviously brought in shelving, whether that's grocery or drugstore or mass merchandiser related. We we're able to stock those shelves, arguably with real products um, or or use representative uh, high definition skins. And um, we can allow people, respondents, to come in and shop that, uh, those shelves. As we've developed that further over the last well, eight to 10 years, for sure, we have now in Chicago, for example, a 5,000 square foot shopper lab with multiple aisles, checkouts. Um, we have a dedicated VR area in that lab as well. So we're actually able to bring in, bring in respondents, have them shop for products, have them be eye-tracked. All of this being observed either by the client who's uh, on site or now remotely, obviously, via the Internet. And we can let them uh, let them shop those sections unencumbered. And then once they're completed that shopping, we can then ask questions and really get to the root of what decision making process they went through. And again, as I said, in combination with that, we overlay particularly the eye tracking side of it, which allows us to know exactly, you know, what did they pay attention to? What signs did they notice? Um, what packages stood out? What did they totally ignore? And, uh, you know, most clients are amazed at the fact that they've done a lot of work on a package and yet it doesn't even get noticed by the, by the respondent. So part of our objective in that op optimization process is to, you know, give them, uh, give them optimization ideas to make sure their package does stand out or to make sure that the planogram that they're using with a retailer is optimized for that particular uh, particular category. Right. And I, I'm really impressed. You mentioned it was 5,000 square feet. Yes. Aisles. That's really large. And I know you're trying to get to as close to the environment to an actual shopping experience. And I honestly, I went to Trader Joe's 45 minutes ago yeah. 5,000 square feet is not that much smaller than an actual Trader Joe's, for example, right? You can really kind of emulate what a shopper goes through. Yeah, we've, we've tried to keep it as, you know, one of the ideas too is to keep it as absolutely flexible as possible. So for example, you know, we're not trying to duplicate a full store. 
because obviously that's uh, that's a little larger than life and you don't really need to. So typically we're interested in, you know, let's say one aisle or the checkout experience, the queuing experience when you're coming up to the checkout, you know, what you're doing, what you're looking at, what you're paying attention to. Um, but the, the space is, as I say, flexible. We can move those shelves anywhere we want to. Um, there's, you know, we, we could put a fast food outlet in that space if we wanted to. If we want to, you know, put in a, a Starbucks store, for example, that could all fit in there and we could deck it out to look exactly like a Starbucks or um, any other client needs that we're trying to duplicate. And that then allows us to have full control over the environment. So unlike doing it in a store where obviously you're, you're trying to stay out of the way of the shoppers that are in the store. And in many, in many stores, you're not allowed to actually move things around or touch the shelves. Um, in our case, obviously we have total control over that. So as I mentioned before, we can do that with real products. Um, and we can stock the shelves with real products. We have what we call um, uh, skins, uh, which are high definition skins, which are two dimensional, which where we actually go in and photograph a store or the sections of a store, um, put those on life-size vinyl skins and actually hang them on the shelf. So when you look down the aisle, it looks like a store. The only difference being you can't physically pull the, the individual products off the shelf. But that that works for some uh, some kinds of testing. It also works very well if you're trying to have a background. So in other words, if, you're, if you've got real products in one section and you wanna make sure the rest of it looks like the balance of the store, we can use skins that look very real to, uh, to dress up the rest of the store. And in combination with that, as I mentioned before, we have a dedicated uh, virtual reality space within our lab as well. So we can, can conduct uh, VR testing again for all these things I've talked about, environment, retail space, displays, planograms, by putting consumers in a VR headset and having them run through a three-dimensional face-to-face uh, -face, uh, shopping experience. So we try to be uh, fully um, fully uh, included, inclusive, if you will, of all the different types of methodologies we can use. We also do immersive testing. Uh, and immersive testing can either put one of those shoppers in a retail environment and then we're able to ask them questions online uh, while they're in that environment, or we can put them in our lab be able to move things around and change things, and then also do that as a uh, fully immersive interview or or focus group uh, focus group type type exercise. That sounds really cool. Um, one thing I'm I'm guessing that you were impacted like the rest of us with COVID, right? And so you probably had some challenges with getting people in, and you're probably not doing a lot of base sizes. You're not trying to crowd the shopper aisles, but I'm assuming yeah. this affected you, and you had to pivot a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, we've all had a, a challenging time during the, the pandemic, no question. Um, obviously, there was a period of time for both of our shopper labs and where we had to close them uh, temporarily because of the regulations that were in place uh, for those locations. And when we were able to reopen them, we had to, like everybody else, we had to implement a number of very stringent uh, regulations and protocols um, to both pre-screen respondents coming into the lab and to make sure that when they were there, they were uh, applying social distancing, that they were wearing masks, that they were, they had obviously the uh, ability to cleanse all of the equipment that was being used, et cetera. Um, so that's obviously now starting to open up a little bit. Um, we we're fortunate in the sense, as I mentioned, that a lot of the types of things we do, we could also do online. So we do um, VR testing online, for example, and we do a lot of planogram studies that way. We can do fully immersive um, qualitative testing online. So we were, were able to keep going and conduct business. We just weren't able to do as much face-to-face. -face. 
And the other side of the business where we're, we've, we've had great success over the years is what I'll call face-to-face at, at retail. And in face-to-face at retail, what we do is obviously working with either the retailer as a partner or a CPG company through the retailer is conduct in-store uh, interviews, in-store observations, you know, beh- watching how people shop in a section and not talking to them, for example, or having pre-arranged interviews or intercept interviews, as we call them, in a, in a retail environment, saying, hey, can we ask you a few questions while you're shopping for this category, pre-screen them and then have, a, have an interview right while they're there. So those were obviously very much affected by COVID as well, because A, the re- some of the retailers were closed, depending on the geography. And, and also uh, on top of that, um, you know, they were very concerned about social distancing and only having a select number of people in a store at a time. So really didn't necessarily want the interruption. So I'm happy to report that that has now changed again um, and opened up again, again, depending on the geography. Um, we're conducting uh, studies again in retail stores, both observations and interviews. Um, and we're also conducting studies in multiple locations uh, across the U.S. where it relates to uh, projects where clients want a, you know, a, a different sense of how different geographies in the U.S. might affect um, the particular test. Okay. You've been doing this a while, and you've been tracking trends in the industry. I'm curious, what, what's happened over the past couple of years? Have we seen a massive shift in behavior? Have we, are people shopping differently? Maybe from your perspective, I'd love to hear a couple of like trends that you're seeing in terms of shopping. Yeah, I mean, I mean, the most obvious one, and I, and I think we all we're all doing it, um, is we're, we're we're buying a lot more of the goods that we get day to day online, um, and obviously we saw that very early in the pandemic, where because you couldn't go to as many stores, or because people were concerned about leaving their homes or or couldn't leave their homes, that they were able to then shift to online buying, and uh, you know across just about every category. So the biggest trend, obviously, the most obvious one is now that people are more used to shopping online, um, that that's going to stay with us. I, I, I think it will not grow as quickly as it has over the last two years, obviously, moving forward. But again, if you think about what consumers are really looking for in, in most categories, uh, we're looking for convenience, we're looking for price. And, you know, if you can buy things online from Amazon or from Walmart, and essentially get them delivered the same day or maybe one day later, um, that's very convenient. And typically the pricing is very good as well. So that, that's definitely the biggest trend that we're seeing. Um, I think the other thing too, even for traditional what we we'll call brick and mortar retailers, we're seeing a lot more um, formats um, and of which click, uh, click and collect would be one, for example. So in click and collect, you're able to go online and place your order the click part. And then the collect part is you, you go to the Walmart parking lot and you pick up your products and you don't have to, you don't have to go in the store. You really don't even have to get out of your car. Um, so that in combination with a lot of the, you know, what we're, what we've seen in terms of payment options, you know, by using your credit card online, by using Apple pay, by using all of the PayPal, by all the myriad of payment options that are now available, the convenience side has become come to the forefront, if you will, in terms of how we go shopping. So, so that's, that's made a big difference as well. Um, when you look at the, uh, the actual retail environment, you think about the way we all used to shop for, you know, traditional, traditional items in the past, call it grocery or drug or mass merchandiser type items. Um, I mean, the behaviors that we're seeing now, even though stores are typically fully open now, we're seeing less browsing. Um, we're seeing less impulse purchases because 
arguably people are still interested. They'll go into a store now. They don't have to wear a mask anymore, which is a good thing. Um, but there's still a concern that I may not want to spend any more time in there than I have to. So that old shopping trip that used to take 30 minutes in a grocery store, you know, we're finding at least for now that that has been quickened. The pace is quickened. I'm not shopping as many of those aisles. I'm not shopping as, as for long. And that cuts down on my ability to, to purchase items on impulse. Uh, you're seeing stores now having to to really change the way they look at checkout sections, for example. Um, whereas before we saw a lot of items that were sort of grab and go items that were right there at the checkout, you'd pick them up as you're waiting in line to, to, to cash out. Um, well, guess what? That, that's changed a little bit because people are now further apart typically when, they're, when they are checking out and you know, they're not as interested or not as accessible to, to buy some of those, uh, those items at the, at the checkout. So we're having to work with clients now to rethink how you know, how those impulse items in particular at the front end are, are racked, where they're merchandised, and what the best way to, uh, to keep them moving. Um, the other uh, thing well, too... Follow -up. What's that? Can I ask a quick follow-up? Sure, Can I ask sorry. A quick follow -up? No, you're great. I have so many questions on everything. I know Brian has one too. Um, the grocery delivery and especially the, um, I'm not sure what you called it, but when you click or, to collect... Click to collect I'm curious how much of a long-term trend that is. And um, do, do you see that some people I think will never go back. They will probably never go back to a traditional shopping experience in a grocery store if they don't have to. But I'm wondering how much of this is just because of the pandemic and they'll go back when they feel safer um, because that's completely shifted so many different things. Like my, my Kroger, we have Kroger here in Cincinnati and most sh shopping stores have created a whole like system to bring groceries to a car, a whole new parking area, a whole new zone to deliver the groceries. And it's kind of affected the shopping experience for the traditional shoppers and the people that are delivering groceries. That has an impact on um, perhaps you store groceries. There's a new way to deliver groceries to someone's house so you can deliver like frozen items, right? And I'm curious once, I don't know if you probably don't know the answer to this, but like how much of this is short-term versus long-term changes? I the easy answer to that is you're right. We don't know the uh, the full answer yet. We're certainly monitoring that as we go forward. Um, but my suspicion is a lot of the changes that we've seen so far are permanent, um, at least yeah. to an extent. So I think what um, what the pandemic has done is it's forced a lot of changes that were probably going to happen slowly over time. Um, it's forced them to happen faster, and we all had to adjust very quickly. If you go back. Well, it's over two, it's just, just over two years now. So if you go back two years ago, our behaviors then were forced to change quickly. And, and then we've had two years to become you know, somewhat comfortable with them. So yeah, I think people are going to go back in stores um, to the extent that they did before. Depends on the category, depends on the retailer and depends on the, let me call it the added value benefits of going to that store. So if you're shopping for fresh meat or fresh vegetables, for example, you probably don't want to get those delivered. You're not feeling comfortable. Frozen, as you mentioned, yeah, there are ways of getting frozen foods delivered, but you know you might not be comfortable with that if you can still go to the store. Some other items, though, whether it's basic cosmetics, whether it's canned goods, whether it's paper products, etc., I think we'll see a fundamental shift there, particularly for people who who may have um, you know not have access to mobility uh, in the sense they don't own a car. And obviously, we know a lot of people living in urban centers now you know, may not see the need to purchase a car, for example. So I can go on Amazon and get my dog food, uh, or get all most of the products I, I want and get them delivered tomorrow. So 
I now don't have to worry about going to my local grocery store and trying to trying to get all, all my groceries home. They're going to be brought right to my door. Well, that's the beauty to me yeah. is I order a 40 pound bag of dog food and it's on my front porch. I don't have to carry it to my car yeah. and the bulky items like that. I feel like I have to start tipping my um, UPS driver. I'm not sure how to do that. <laughs> Tip Amazon. Um, Brian, yeah. you have a question. No, mine's actually a bit of a two-part, and it actually segues perfectly into what you just asked. So as we've we just talked about how there's more people doing the grocery pickups or even having them delivered, how does this impact, one, the kind of the intercepts and research you're doing? Is are, How do we account for some of that bias of people if you're doing those in-store intercepts and observations how are you going to account for those people that are essentially no longer going to be coming into the store? They're going to have those groceries delivered. And I know from just personal, it's an, it's a convenience experience. I have neighbors who will never go back. They're like, why will I spend an hour going to the grocery store when I can go online, click what I need, go pick it up. And in 10 minutes, I'm home. And now I have 50 minutes now back in my day to go do something else. Yeah. Other side of that is, when you talked about that planogram optimization, are you starting to see clients now look to look to optimize their planogram for those store employee shoppers? So those people who are going out picking those orders up. I know when I'm I was at Kroger on Sunday, and half the people shopping in there are Kroger employees with the carts doing online order pickup. So yep. are we going to start to see more clients or more stores? optimize so those shoppers can get through so their own shoppers can get through quicker fulfill more orders and get more people to pick up yep. items yeah two good questions let, let me answer them backwards if you don't mind because uh, um I, I think the best way to look at what we're seeing now is um a number of retail outlets that are being turned from a retail store into a mini fulfillment center so in other words Obviously, there's been a number of stores that uh, didn't make it through the pandemic. There's a, a fair bit of office real estate that's available. So that in combination with just some retailers deciding, you know what, I've got a, I've got a store that didn't quite meet my sales targets before in terms of foot traffic, in terms of the amount of sales it was making. So I'm now going to convert that store in this particular, particularly urban geography, I'm going to convert that store into a mini fulfillment center. And what they're doing within that retail store, within that outlet, is obviously optimizing the mix of products where they are for ease of picking. So to your point, so that the employees can easily pick the items that they're looking for, put those orders together and then get, get them shipped out immediately to consumers' homes. So that's absolutely happening, and we're going to see that continue uh, and spread across uh, more and more urban geographies in particular. To answer the first question, um, which I think was more relating to, um, you know, what, what are we doing for planograms for in-store? One of the other biggest uh, changes that we've seen is, is obviously supply chain dynamics. Um, and the, the fact that during COVID, where there were restrictions on the number of items that could be produced, that the amount of choice that's actually available in most categories is now reduced relative to what it was two years ago. And I think what we're going to find is we're not, we're, we're not going to have 27 varieties of vanilla, vanilla ice cream anymore, for example. We may only have 15 now. So, you know, did the consumer beforehand need 27 varieties? Probably not. And that, uh, that challenge of choice, as we like to call it, was, was a bit of a, a frustration for a lot of shoppers anyways. Now they don't have uh, as many choices in terms of varieties. They may not have as many choices in terms of 
available sizes or flavors. Um, obviously, they still want to be innovative. They still want to come forward with new products. Um, but the, the, the opportunity to have as many uh, different items in a store as were available two years ago, I don't think you're going to see that come forward anytime soon. So what we're interested in doing, and your original question was, well, how do you, how do you account for that bias? in terms of uh, intercept interviewing people. I think what we'll find moving forward, and we're already doing this a bit now, is we're pre-recruiting respondents to go on a shopping trip. And part of that pre-recruiting is, how do you shop for this category? So we can be quite interested in, if they're shopping online, that's okay. We wanna collect all the information about that experience. And as I say, we can do them in a fully immersive environment, have them shop online, be able to eye track them, be able to monitor exactly what they're looking at, what they're not looking at, what they're paying attention to, um, or we can take them into a store. So we have the choice by um, pre-recruiting respondents to, to, to in fact put them into the environment that they're used to from a new, new shopping uh, behavior basis. Um, I'm fascinated by this. I could ask a lot of questions and I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna throw one out of left field at you. you. You work in Toronto and Chicago, and I gotta be careful because I've got I'm outnumbered by Canadians here. And um, curious, are there big differences between Canadian shoppers and American shoppers other than those ridiculous ketchup potato chips and the delicious. weird chocolate you, that you guys eat? You missed the delicious <laughs> going for. Um, you, so, uh, the fundamental changes, no. I think it really. I think it obviously each country, each region of the U.S. for that matter, has its uh, has its choices that they're much more preferable to. I think fundamentally, no. I, the The obvious differences between the two countries, um, pricing tends to be different. Packaging tends to be different. So again, in Canada, there is a regulation that, that that packaging has to be bilingual. Now we see some of that in the U.S. Obviously, in terms of bilingual packaging with Spanish. But it's it, you know it's not a, a a diehard regulation in this country where all packages have to be bilingual. So so when you're in Canada, you're looking at a package. Both English and French have to receive the same size lettering, for example, which makes it much more challenging to you know to how you design that package to make sure that you're meeting the English and French needs, which is a a, a regulation within the country. Other than that, um, different retailers. I mean, obviously. Walmart is in both countries and doing very well. Target, as you know, tried to launch into Canada a number of years ago, was not successful, so is no longer there. Um, in the drugstore environment, you know, Walgreens, CVS, large down here in the states. In Canada, it tends to be um, they're, they're not they're not in Canada. So we have a Shoppers Drug Mart, for example, there, which is a very large chain, which is actually now grown uh, is actually owned by the largest uh, retail uh, grocery as well. So. So different, different just in terms of where you go shopping. Other than that, quite similar. Okay. And I interrupted you originally before we, uh, we went on a nice little tangent there about <laughs> any other shifts in behavior. Is there anything else you wanted to mention about shifts in behavior anything that I cut you off on? Well, I, I think there's, there's a couple of other things too. We talked, I mean, we deal with, um, you know, a number of uh, other clients in the fast food industry, for example. Um, and the, the one fundamental thing, and, and, Time is going to tell on this one, but we've all become very used to working from home. And the one thing that became extremely evident with work from home, uh, which you know, I think for the most part, people, people liked. Um, I know obviously our staff has, uh, has been working from home in our various locations across the US and in Canada, and, and it's worked out quite well. 
Um, obviously, we need people in the shopper lab, so they come in when, when, we, when we need them in the shopper lab, for, for sure. Um, but the work from home has had a fundamental impact on the way we drive to work, the, the way we go to lunch, the way we drive home from work. So we've seen a dramatic impact on, uh, you know, some of the, the fast food outlets that would be selling coffee and donuts in the morning, for example, or where people go out for lunch and socialize in the office or how they drive home and their ability to pick things up. Well, if you're working from home, none of those things apply. So now as, uh, as more and more workplaces are opening up again, um, we'll, we'll see how that shifts back to where it was before. And I think you're, I think you're still gonna have a bit of a hybrid model there. There's gonna be some people who are at least working from home for part of the week, um, which obviously has a large impact on all those retailers or fast food in particular that relied on that you know, sort of drive traffic uh, every day. Uh, convenience stores is, would be another perfect example of that. Um, and then just lastly, I think where we've seen uh, quite a few uh, changes is in packaging waste. So obviously the average consumer is much more interested in the environmental side of, of things, particularly as we've had the weird weather that we've collectively had across North America over the last few years. So packaging waste is a challenge. Um, you know, the manufacturers are really being tasked with, you know, what can we do to reduce packaging? What can we do to make sure we're using recycled packaging? What can we do to uh, cut down, just, just, just cut down on the average waste, whether that's coffee cup lids or straws or, or, or any, just about any package has, you know, has to be packaged. And how do we make that more consumer environmentally friendly? And sourcing local, I think is, it would be another thing too. We're seeing a big trend towards, you know, particularly after the pandemic, how do I, how do I get things closer to home? How, you know, do I have to rely on getting everything from the Far East? Can I get it from closer to home, whether that's, uh, you know, organic strawberries or whether that's just items that are manufactured here in the U.S. as opposed to some, some other country on the other side of the world? So, so that's definitely happening too. Um, I find it interesting, and I noticed this early on in the pandemic, that we started making sacrifices pretty quickly on the, on the environmental side for safety reasons, right? We had a lot of things much more individually packaged and safer. And um, I'm curious how fast that will shift. Yeah, disposable. Yeah, disposable, how fast yeah. that will kind of shift back. Um, that's just kind of an interesting topic to me is how fast we went from, we were really far, going really fast, really far down this environmental path. And everybody agrees with that, right? And then all of a sudden, COVID hits and it's like, well, I kind of want my own disposable. I want my own thing and I don't want it touching anything else. And you can't use the reusable bags at the grocery store. You have to use right. the disposable yeah. ones. That's shifting right. back yeah, I, too. We, time will tell is I think the easy answer on that. I think the, you know, the environment was raised to such a high level of awareness. And obviously we're, we're you know, we're seeing some of the implications or uh, in terms of weather patterns, et cetera. So I, I, it has slowed down for sure. But it hasn't gone away. And I think it's what it's doing is forcing a lot of companies in just about every industry to think of new ways of doing things and to really ask, you know, do we need plastic straws? Do we need plastic cups, cup lids? Um, you know, do we need all that super packaging that we have on this particular product? And I think that trend will continue because for the other side of it, too, it, it is an opportunity in many cases to to try and reduce the cost of the packaging element for for a lot of products. And, and particularly now with supply chain costs going up, with labor costs going up, uh, manufacturers and retailers are looking for ways to, you know, be able to reduce their costs to offset some of these other increases that are taking place. Part of it dr driven by the pandemic, obviously, in terms of supply chain. Um, but there's a whole bunch of, of factors. I mean, we now, for instance, I mean, 
I mentioned convenience before, pricing is obviously a very important factor as well. And, and now for the first time in a generation, we're seeing inflation in the US and in Canada and many other jurisdictions around the world. What, you know, we haven't seen inflation like we're seeing now for you know, 25 years. Um, so there's a whole group of people that have never grown up and had to deal with inflation. Well, guess what? You know, in the U.S. now, it's about 7.5%. In Canada, slightly less. But we're watching our gas prices go up. We're watching all of the factor inputs into the items we're buying going up in cost. So we're, we're very aware of that now. Okay. That was fascinating. Um, I agree. Let's, I could talk to you for a long time, Chris, but for the sake of time, let's move on to some... Let's get to know you a little bit. We took the uh, marketing mix four P's and we try to get to know people by mixing it up a little bit. Um, first P is perform. What is something most people don't know about you? Do you have a hidden talent? Um, I'm not sure if I have a hidden talent or not, but the, the one thing is uh, that really has, again, this sort of segues into, into some extent with, uh, with the pandemic as well. I've always tried to be you know, athletic. I've always tried to get out there and be active. And um, so, you know, my hidden talent, or at least my internal hidden talent, I think is I've, I've become uh, I've become a pickleball fanatic. So if you're familiar at all with the game of pickleball, um, that is something that segued quite well from the uh, the pandemic because it it forced me to go outside and, and play pickleball when I could, as opposed to going to the gym. Or in the old days, I used to play a lot of squash as well as another sport. Well, obviously, playing squash in a little box in the middle of a pandemic probably <laughs> probably isn't a good idea. So. Um, okay. it forced me to become a lot more serious about, about playing pickleball. And I've really enjoyed that. And I'd actually call myself a, a pickleball fanatic now. Nice. Um, next question, pandemic, what is something fun or quirky that you started doing during the quarantine? I will mention the shout out to the metal yellow team who are the 2021, uh, marble racing champions <laughs> on yellow's marble racing that I got addicted to in 2020. Uh, my Orangers, that's my favorite team. They last won in 2017. So I'm looking for a big 2022 run from them. That's my quirk, uh, obviously. Um, Chris, do you have any quirks or anything other than, I wouldn't consider pickleball a quirk, but if you- Well, it is a bit of a quirk. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, uh, so two things I would say to that. One is, as I mentioned before, I've always tried to be an active individual you know, for, for ever, ever since I can remember. Certainly the pandemic um, has, has, made me want to make sure that I continue with that, to make sure that I'm active every day. And I, I, I literally keep track of what I do every day, not so much from an eating perspective, but certainly from an exercise perspective. So I can literally go back to March 13th, two years ago, and tell you what I've done every day. And I'm, I'm happy to report that over that two-year period, I have done something every day. And I force myself, even if it's 11 o'clock at night, I'll go and do something to get it in before midnight. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, um, like a lot of people, um, my wife and I became, uh, you know, COVID puppy owners during the beginning of the pandemic. So I have a, I have a great little dog at home who keeps me active and keeps me going out for walks and things. And, um, we're able to pick him up early in the, uh, I guess early in the first year of the pandemic. And, um, so that's been great in terms of, you know, Hey, a having another companion, but B someone that uh, you know likes going out for walks and likes running around in the backyard and and really wants uh, wants some attention so that's been great yeah well start of the pandemic no dog and now your dog is an adult out of the puppy stage that's how long <laughs> we've been doing this <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it's uh, it's been us... quite the ride um next p pampering you have any top indulgences 
Uh, pampering, yeah, I would say for, you know, and again, here's here's another one as it relates to the, to the pandemic. Um, my wife and I have always uh, very much liked the sort of the all-inclusive getaway to the Caribbean, the trips where you just sort of show up and, and you're pampered the whole time you're there. So we've done a lot yes. of those trips over the years. And believe it or not, I had a, um, I had a trip booked to a des- an all-inclusive destination in Jamaica for the beginning of April two years ago. <laughs> so I was looking forward to going to Negril for the first time. And lo and behold, guess what? We couldn't fly. So um, that uh, that trip had to very easily be canceled. But but yeah, the easy answer is you know love the love to be able to get away, sit on a beach, be pampered, and um, you know be able to do that you know one or two times a year ideally. And I'm happy happy to report that now as things are opening up again, that we we should be able to hopefully start thinking about doing that again. Last P pastime. What, what do you do when you have some free time? I, I'm, working out sounds like a lot of free yeah, time. Working exactly. Out. And as, as I mentioned, I think a, a lot of these segue together, which is good. Um, working out. Um, I think the pandemic, as much as I was you know, active before, as I said, I think the pandemic has forced me to say, I, I need to make sure I do everything, I do something every day, whether that's going for a walk with the dog, whether that's playing pickleball, whether that's whatever that activity happens to be, I want to make sure I'm getting at least uh, at least 30 minutes of, of good exercise in every day. And as I mentioned, I'm happy to report that I've done that for the last 750 days or however long I've been tracking it. And, I, and I'm, I'm going to, you know, it's, it's forcing me to, I, I don't want to have that day come up that that forces me off that track. So, so unless I'm in, unless I'm sick in bed and can't move, I'm going to keep doing something every day just to, to keep that up. Impressive. And um, I'll close with how can people reach you, but I, um, you're clearly an expert in this space. We did, we threw a bunch of questions out that you weren't prepared for. I don't think, and you answered them really well. So you're clearly um, an expert in shopper research. And so how can people well, find you? you? No, yeah, great, great questions, great discussion. Very much enjoyed it. Um, I think one one thing that uh, if, if people are interested in learning more about uh, Explorer Research um, and and or or my background as well, you can you can visit explorerresearch.com. Just as it sounds, two R's in the middle, explorerresearch.com. There's a wealth of information. We update the, our website uh, certainly weekly, if not daily, with the latest information. We have a blog on there. We have articles of interest, whether that's on VR, whether it's on the metaverse, which is obviously um, a new technology that's coming in front of everybody. And um, there's lots of background information in there that you can use uh, as a client or an interested party to find out more about how we operate, the types of things we do, the clients we work with, et cetera. It it really is a great resource. Um, And then apart from that, um, one of my partners, Ann Stevenson, will be a presenter at the upcoming IIEX North America conference in Austin, Texas. So if you happen to be going to that conference or have an interest, um, you can catch uh, catch her presentation on the April 19th um, uh, in, in Austin, or it'll be live online, I'm sure, as well. I will be there. A couple of others of us from our company will be in Great. Austin. It's one of my favorite, favorite conferences of the year. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice to see it coming back. That, I mean, it, it really, we've, we've avoided, like everything else, we've avoided live conferences for the last two years, as most people have. So it's exciting to see that, that this year's conference is back in, in Austin and looks like it will be very successful based on uh, the, the presenters as well as the, uh, the number of people that are going to be attending. All right. Chris, thank you so much. Very informative. I love the discussion. And we'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Brian. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.